Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. I was so excited when Pope Francis announced that he had taken the name Francis, because shortly before that, back in 2013, I had learned from a Franciscan priest friend of mine that St. Francis had had this really transformative encounter with a Muslim leader back in 1219 during the Crusades. So our, our understanding is that St. Francis went to meet with the Sultan because he wanted to stop the violence. He wanted to end this warring that was going on between the Muslim army in Egypt and the Crusaders. And quite possibly he went with the goal of converting the Sultan to Christianity. And he thought he could end the fighting by converting the Sultan. That obviously is not what happened. But I do think there is a different kind of conversion that occurred during that meeting where neither of the two men changed their religious affiliation, but they came away with a better sense of who the other is and had a new window into what a relationship with God can look like. I imagine during, uh, during the Crusades when Francis went to dialogue with the Sultan, al-Malik al-Kamel, a lot of people probably thought that was a bad idea because he crossed enemy lines to meet with this man and didn't know if he would be captured, if he would be killed, he didn't know what would happen. And I think a lot of people are similarly wary about Pope Francis going to Iraq during the middle of a global pandemic when there has been a resurgence of, of violence in places in Iraq. But I think what both of these men, St. Francis and Pope Francis, recognize is that this presence with Muslims is really important. Pope Francis is about to embark on a historic trip to Iraq, Friday, March 5th. The Holy Father will meet a top Muslim religious leader and visit Christian communities that were forced to flee due to ISIS attacks. When he lands in Baghdad, he'll meet with President Barham Saleh, then zigzag across the country at breakneck speed, visiting religious leaders and cities that are still recovering from the destruction wrought by the Islamic State. The trip is extremely risky. Iraq has seen a massive spike in coronavirus cases as new strains of the virus have been detected. And then there's the uptick in violence. 32 people were killed in a suicide bombing in Iraq last month. And just two weeks ago, there was a projectile attack on a military base inside the Erbil airport, where Pope Francis is set to meet representatives from Iraqi Kurdistan. If you listen to people in the Vatican, top senior people, nobody has been encouraging him to go. They say, wait, wait, postpone. But Pope Francis isn't postponing, despite the risks to himself, to those traveling with him, and to the Iraqis who will gather to see him. So the big question is, why? What's driving Pope Francis to enter a war zone during a global pandemic? I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican.
Fox Christians have fled the country in startling numbers since the U.S. invasion in 2003. That exodus has been accelerated by the ISIS onslaught over the last two years. To understand why Pope Francis is going to Iraq, we first have to look at what has happened to the Christians there. The city of Ankara and the United Nations scrambled to prepare for the hundreds of refugees that were continuing to arrive in the Kurdish city today. Please don't blame my people when they leave. Daesh is responsible for genocide against groups in areas under its control, including Yazidis, Christians, and Shia Muslims. Iraqi Christianity is perhaps the oldest branch of Christianity ever on earth. That's Dr. Amir Harak, a professor of Aramaic and Syriac studies at the University of Toronto. He's an Iraqi Christian himself and a deacon in the Syriac Catholic Church. Christians in Iraq trace their roots to the Apostle Thomas, who in the first century AD traveled through what is now Iraq on his way to India. Islam came to Iraq shortly after the death of the Prophet Muhammad in the seventh century, and the two religious communities lived side by side in relative harmony for centuries, with their art and their architecture and their culture growing side by side. The region was part of the Ottoman Empire until its dissolution in the early 20th century. The last hundred years were tumultuous, due in large part to Western political and military interference. Then ISIS came, the self-proclaimed Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, a radical group seeking to establish a fundamentalist caliphate in the region. They are extremely fanatic. They see Islam as you know, the, the final religion, and then they have to obliterate everything. And this is basically what they did in my native city in Mosul. There is uh, a monastery, uh, probably first century monastery. The building of that monastery uh, dates to mid 13th century when it was renovated. Um, the renovations preserved the art of the 13th centuries, not only in churches, but also in mosques. So it was a, an art shared by the Muslims and the Christians. And these people, ISIS, uh, they effaced everything that is the art of that period, which means that, of course, the, the Christians lost a treasure, but also uh, Islam lost that treasure. As a scholar of Syriac history, Dr. Harak lost a treasure too. Of course, it was very painful. You know, I grew up uh, in the seminary and, uh, you know, the Christians of Iraq are very much attached to, to their churches. Um, my father was a stone cutter and he uh, renovated the church, the church where I was baptized there. So that's, uh, yeah, it's very painful. Dr. Harak left Iraq in the late 70s to study in Europe. So he wasn't around to see most of the destruction until later. But Rochelle Grew, a university student in Erbil, lived through it. For example, in 2014, uh, we migrated from our town. So we don't know what happened in that night. We did not even take anything with us. Like during 
very few hours we left our houses for three years and no one imagined that would happen and we didn't we didn't know what what happened exactly all the bombs were around us and the, the, when we went to the checkpoints like so many people you will see around the roads without eating without even we did not have a water to drink and then we found our, ourselves that we are sleeping in the street. Rochelle's family is one of a few that have returned to Karakosh, but it hasn't been easy. They only have electricity and hot water for a few hours a day. So it's nearly impossible for Rochelle, who's a computer science major, to imagine a future for herself there. Which means she could be part of a larger exodus of young people. Almost 40% of Iraqis are under the age of 15. Their entire lives have been framed by intense conflict. And since 2014, when ISIS invaded the Nineveh Plain, three quarters of the Christians have fled the country. Most aren't planning to return. But not everyone could escape. Actually, I, I, I'm, I'm living here in Ankawa alone because of my studying. My father cannot leave uh, uh, his town, even my grandparents. So it is very difficult for them to leave their towns. But see, we don't have many opportunities there. That's a big reason Pope Francis wants to visit, to encourage the Christians who remain and give them hope. Francis is going to Iraq because he said there are many courageous people there. America's Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell puts it this way. The bishops, the priests who didn't abandon the people in the midst of the persecution the people who stayed, the people who are so poor that they couldn't even try or think of leaving the country. And he feels they're kindred spirits, and he's going in there to really encourage them, to endorse their choice, and to commend them for their great courage, and to console them, because so many have lost so many people. And he wants to remind them, you know, that after the crucifixion, there's a resurrection. I asked Rochelle if she thought the Pope's visit could make a difference for people like her and her family. Yes, actually, I'm very happy. And this visit of Pope Francis to Iraq, and especially to my town, the Catholic hometown Karakosh, is something special for me. The Pope seeks peace and love and humanity. Okay, I'm not leaving you alone. So I am, I am with you and I will not leave you. And I, I believe that this visit will change something, at least their, their thoughts and minds. We need someone who care about us and say that I'm with you. We're just learning now of this extraordinary move by Pope Francis coming here to the front lines of Europe's refugee crisis and bringing home with him to Rome three Syrian refugee families to live in the Vatican. If you had a chance to see the Pope, have you been able to see him at all? The Pope, Pope Francis? We hope that. We hope we could meet him again. He's a very kind man and he's a real human being. Pope Francis is traveling to Iraq to be in solidarity with the small Christian population that has stayed. But how exactly does he show his love? 
by going straight to the heart of their most fractured relationships. Muslim-Christian relations in Iraq are uh, pretty complicated and have a varied history. My name is Jordan Denary Duffner. I'm a scholar of Muslim-Christian relations and a PhD student in theology at Georgetown University. And I write on Islamophobia and relations between Catholics and Muslims. I think we have this perception today of, of the Middle East as this perpetual conflict zone between Christians and Muslims and Sunnis and Shias. But um, for many centuries and in many contexts, people have been living side by side in, in harmony, obviously with all the complications that go with uh, you know, daily life and interreligious communal relations. So um, now what, what Christians and Muslims are trying to do in Iraq is really pick up the pieces. And Pope Francis thinks he can help. He's spent years building friendships with Muslim leaders. And during his first year as Pope, he said that building relationships with Muslims was one of his primary goals. Pope Francis wrapped up a two-day visit to Egypt, celebrating Mass in Cairo. And since then, we have seen him visit numerous Muslim-majority countries. Pope Francis continues his visit to Turkey this morning. But also reach out to Muslims in, in Rome, in Italy, um, in his own community. Throughout his journey, the Pope has kept wishing his audiences assalamu alaikum, that's peace be with you in Arabic. Both peace and unity have been his biggest messages. And this is, I think, to not only show Muslims that he as a, a Catholic leader cares about them, but to also demonstrate to Catholics what it looks like to be in relationship and in dialogue with Muslims. The Pope recording his own video message. I come as a friend, he tells Egyptians, a messenger of peace. I think for me, some of the key moments have been encounters that involved prayer or interreligious prayer. Um, I remember when he was visiting with Rohingya Muslim refugees in Bangladesh, people who had fled this ethnic cleansing in their home country. And there was a, a, an interfaith service and it was supposed to be kind of a formal thing, but he said, no, I need to meet these people one-on-one -on -one up close, speak to them, express my sorrow for what's happened to them and to really ask for forgiveness on behalf of the global community. He also asked the uh, one of the leaders of their group to say a prayer uh, that he bowed his head during and also sort of offered up to God as well. And to me, that really speaks to the fact that Pope Francis um, recognizes and honors the fact that God is at work in the religious lives of Muslims and that we can pray together in certain ways, that we can learn from Muslims and their own relationship with God. And I think that speaks to a, a second key moment, and that's the ways that he's involved Muslims in the encyclicals that he has written. When he released the encyclical Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis had Judge Muhammad Mahmoud Abdesalam present on the document to say, this is my view as a Muslim of what this encyclical on human fraternity means, and that I as a Muslim see reflected here in this Catholic document the teachings of my own Islamic tradition. This is what my faith teaches as well. Up until now, a lot of Pope Francis's relationships with Muslims have been with Sunni Muslims. 85% of the world's Muslims are Sunni, but most Iraqis are Shias. So this visit will be Francis's first major outreach to Shia Islam. While in the Catholic world, you have the Pope, in the Muslim world, you don't have one leader. But if there is a man who stands out, really is recognized, 
not just by Shias, but by also Sunnis as the spiritual, the outstanding figure, and more than spiritual, a, a man of peace, a man for justice. This is the Ayatollah Sistani. Pope Francis respects the Ayatollah for the same reason he respects Christians like Rochelle, who stayed. When ISIS had overtaken much of the Nineveh plain in the northern part of Iraq, Ayatollah Sistani urged his people to stay and help fight off the extremists. I think one of the important similarities between Pope Francis and the Grand Ayatollah is their focus not only to give comfort and support to their own religious community, but to make sure that those in their own fold are caring for and protecting other religious groups in their midst. So Sistani has really focused in the last number of years on emphasizing the, I think, the obligation and the duty that Muslims have to protect Christians or, or non-Muslims in their midst. And that's something that Pope Francis has very much done during his pontificate as well. So right now, you have a pope and a top Shia cleric who both deeply respect one another, who are both seeking to build strong relationships with other religious groups and ensure their rights, and who are well-liked across religious divides. It seems like a recipe for success. But we don't really know what's going to happen at this meeting. There were rumors that the Ayatollah would sign on to the Human Fraternity Document, which laid out a vision for cooperation between Catholics and Muslims. Pope Francis had signed that document with the top Sunni leader, the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar. But more recent reports say, don't count on it. Jerry doesn't expect the Ayatollah to sign on. At least, not yet. Remember the Human Fraternity Document took a long time, more than six months, almost a year to put together. The Pope and Ayatollah Sistani will meet for the first time. So what will they talk about? I would not be shocked if we don't learn a lot about what they say to each other. And I think that's okay. I, I think that the meeting itself is the message, that we don't necessarily need to know what they said to each other. I want to point out something that Jordan said there. The meeting itself is the message. All of the folks I've talked to about this visit have said that same thing. The image of these two leaders together is what's going to send the strongest message. So what will the photo say? We could have a meeting of minds and hearts when the two men meet. And that's the message for the country. We have to work together. We have to build peace. It requires everybody's effort. And here are the top spiritual leaders offering a visible image of what peace can be. I grew up with a statue of St. Francis in my yard, and I think we often uh, invoke St. Francis as this patron of the environment, but he also is this example of what uh, Catholic-Muslim dialogue can, can look like. At the beginning of the show, Jordan told us the famous story of how St. Francis of Assisi risked his life to meet with the Muslim Sultan in the middle of the Crusades. Even though the two weren't able to stop the wars, they were both deeply affected by their meeting. After St. Francis departed from Damietta, where he was meeting with the Sultan, he wrote a number of documents that give us a window into the way that he was transformed by this encounter. One of those was how he encouraged his fellow friars to 
be among Muslims, to be these Christian missionaries in Muslim contexts. And it it wasn't, let's try to convert everyone. It was a ministry of presence. And that's very much what Pope Francis does. Pope Francis isn't trying to convert anyone on these trips. It's to say, I am your brother, Francis, and I want to be here with you. And then another beautiful outcome of St. Francis's meeting with the Sultan was this recommendation that he had to Christian polities to have some sort of bell or, or human voice that would call people to prayer in, in Christian settings. And, you know, and it, when I saw the, the signage in Najaf, in this holy city where Pope Francis is going to be visiting with the Grand Ayatollah, that they're also mentioning the, the, this meeting between the bells and the, the one who calls Muslims to pray. Which St. Francis would have heard and seen when he visited with the Sultan in Damietta in Egypt. And so it's just beautiful full circle of uh, Catholic-Muslim dialogue 800 years later. I came across a video the other day of a Shia poet offering this um, this song or this poem in honor of the, the Pope's upcoming visit to Nejef and talking about how here in Nejef, the Pope of Christianity is going to embrace the Pope of Islam or the Baba of Christians is going to embrace the Baba of, of Islam. It's just such a beautiful sentiment to hear it phrased that way because in Arabic, like other languages, the word for Pope is kind of like dad, you know, Baba, father. So both Muslims and Christians in Iraq are thrilled that the Pope is coming. But there are also some very real concerns. And honestly, I share those concerns. Between the very real risk of violence and of COVID, I still didn't understand why Pope Francis was so set on going right now. Couldn't he at least wait until the pandemic was under control? This visit is happening because Francis has made up his mind. He's felt in his heart I have a moral obligation. I think it Jerry has known Pope Francis since long before he was Pope. And for him, this all comes back to solidarity. People are suffering. I'm a pastor. I've got to go to them. That is why he is there. He feels that God is calling him to do this. And they say, but there are risks and risks. He said, I'm in the hands of God. And so so are we now. Yeah, right, exactly. That's I mean, that's something I wanted to ask you about because it's not just his life that's on the line, right? Like, we know that wherever he goes, even if there are orders to the contrary, people are going to gather. There's going to be crowds. You know, he's traveling with all these different people. I wonder, I don't know, what, what consideration there is for the fact that it's not just Francis's life that's on the line. It, it's a lot more than that. You are one of these people. What's your own thought on going? Well, I... I realize that there are risks. I mean, we all realize that nobody is blind to the reality. Uh, we've got the vaccination, but we realize that it's a country that's not at peace. We realize that many things can happen. And, uh, 
you, you know, a doctor who goes into a hospital today where there's COVID, he's putting his life on on the line. So that there are many people in life who are who are you're doing your job and you try to do it well, and uh, then you hope that the best comes out of it. And so we we, we pray. I hope our listeners pray as well for us as we go in. And uh, I think uh, I'm hopeful that the, his visit will be a big boost to the people there, a big boost to peace, and that it will impact across the Muslim world, but also the Christian world. You can find Jerry's latest reporting from Iraq, along with all of America Magazine's analysis, at americamagazine.org slash Iraq 2021. That's americamagazine.org slash Iraq 2021. You can also follow Jerry on Twitter at Jerry O. Rome. And if you enjoyed this deep dive episode and want to help us make more, please subscribe to America Magazine at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and mixed by Rebecca Seidel. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Production assistance from Robert Balliser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome and Kevin Christopher Robles. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.